I feel like we ought to just praise God for our leadership. Amen. Uh, Pastor Adams does, as he would say, a yeoman's job of trying to prevent and to guard this church from so many different things. And so I'm always grateful to just have an opportunity to uh, stand in the pulpit of a place where we know and we are so used to and accustomed to a good word flowing from this platform. So we thank God for our pastor. We thank God for his wife and his children. Amen. Um, you have been, I'm, I'm going to try to be very timely uh, here this afternoon. Is, is that okay? All right. All right. I'll give you, hopefully give you a timely word and, and give it to you in a good time. Um, you have been dealing with and on the subject matter of change as it relates to having a series on Wednesday nights. Um, and, and unfortunately, because we serve next door, uh, I often forget to, to check the website to listen to the Wednesday service. I, if I'm going to go back, typically I go back and listen to the Sunday services. Uh, but this time, pastor told me that, he said, you know, now you can speak on whatever you want to talk about. But we've been dealing with, with change. And so I, I felt it important for me to just go back and listen to the series uh, over these past four or five weeks as God has been pouring into pastor and pastor has been pouring into you and us uh, on change. And so I was blessed by the word uh, over these past few weeks on the issue of change. Um, I'm sure that all of us can attest and say unequivocally that all of us have changes that we need to make in our lives. Amen? Every last one of us have at least one change, and most of us have many changes that we need to take, that need to take place in our lives. Um, I'm, I'm just, for the sake of, I'm just going to hide my, what I need to change behind the, the, the pulpit. All right? Uh, one, one of my changes I need to, need, need to make. Um, there are physical changes that have been made in many of your lives, and there are physical changes that need to take place in some of your lives. Some of you have to uh, go to the gym. Others have to go to a surgeon because there are certain physical things that are going on in your body that did not take place 4, 5, 10, or 15 years ago. And you just need that added help to be able to get rid of whatever the issue is that's going on in your life. Uh, others of us have emotional changes are going through emotional changes, those seasons in your life where your emotions uh, are kind of topsy-turvy. Uh, you may have lost a loved one, or um, you may have gone through uh, a divorce, or you may have lost a relationship that, that you had banked on, uh, and you have those emotions that, that go and string you along, and you just know you need some change in that area of your life. Uh, some need psychological changes. Um, some need relational changes, but all of us, in some shape, form, or fashion, need change. And so Pastor has been dealing with that, and last week, or, or two weeks ago, I should say, he, he, he talked about, as it relates to change, how we need to choose to rejoice. We, we've got to learn how to choose to rejoice. And, and that's not always an easy thing. We know how to rejoice when it's time to rejoice. 
But we don't often know how to rejoice in those seasons of want and difficulties that come in our lives. But as we make those changes in our lives, even as it relates to rejoicing, it's imperative that we as Christians follow what the word of God, the prescription that God has given us in his word, in his outline. Because in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18, here's what the scripture says. It says, be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. He says it's important, it's imperative that you and I are thankful and that we are, uh, uh, have the capability to be thankful in all circumstances and situations. Now that can be a challenge to you. Because when you are upset about something or when something is costing you money, or something is costing you time, something is costing you some of your resources, it's very difficult to find rejoice in those things. You're not excited about those things that take place where it drains you from something, your time or your talents or your resources. But the Bible tells us plainly that we as Christians, not talking to unbelievers, He's not talking to those who don't belong in Christ. He says there's got to be something about you and me that makes us smile even though we're going through hell. He says in all things, in all circumstances, in all situations, you and I as soldiers of the army have got to learn to smile, to rejoice. And that can be very difficult. Recall just just the latest little incident that happened uh, in our house, um, you know, my, my oldest boy, Micah, uh, just finished college uh, at, at Texas Southern in Houston. And on his very last week, very last week of school, he had left Shreveport and was going down uh, to, to, to Texas Southern to finish up that week. And he got in the town of Nacogdoches, Texas, not Nacogdoches, but Nacogdoches, Texas, and all of a sudden... He lost total control of his vehicle. It just locked up on him out of nowhere. Come to find out that even though he had had an oil change about six weeks prior, his engine was bone dry of oil. And while he was on uh, the highway traveling, everything, steering wheel, everything just kind of locked up on him. Now, mind you, had he been on the interstate or anywhere where if he had gotten on on the shoulder and there was an embankment or water, it really could have gotten ugly. And so I had to learn, even in that situation, just give thanks that God kept him and allowed him to just ease on to the side of the road. (laughs) Learning to give thanks. I tell you, that that really messed up my day, too, guys. Man, I was, you know, it it happened on a Monday. All right, and Mondays are typically my day off, and, you know, I was at, man, I'd just gone to the movie, movie theater. I, I bought my, my popcorn, Katie, and, and, I, and I sat down, and I was watching Ford versus Ferrari. Now, I'm a car man. I like to watch those kind of shows, you know, and so, you know, I'm sitting there watching the show, and uh, it just had begun. I mean, just four minutes in, into the movie, and he gives me a phone call and said, Dad, I don't know what's going on, but my car is locked up, and I, I, can't, I can't help him. So I had to leave, you know, the theater, of course. Um, had to run down and try to figure out what we were going to do. Uh, when I got close to Nacogdoches, the Lord put it on my mind that, uh, you know, you, you, can, you can rent a, a trailer. And so I went to U-Haul, rented a trailer, 
met Michael where he was. I had, uh, you know, some insurance on the car, so we had them to tow the car to uh, Firestone. And when I got there, the guys, there was a, a big team of guys there, and they helped us push that vehicle on, onto the uh, trailer. And we got it on, on back to, to, the, to the house. And, 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 and the whole time, you know, I could have been fuming. I've had to spend money now. I had to go travel to get something. I had to go rent a U-Haul. I could have been fuming. But in my mind, I was thinking, thank you, Lord. Not only did you save my son again, but you allowed me to remember that I can rent a U-Haul. Then I got there, got the U-Haul. You had a whole team of men who were able and willing to push the car up on the trailer. And we were able to bring it back safely, and all was well. And so in all circumstances, brothers and sisters, sometimes you got to look for it, but I promise you it's there. In all circumstances, we've got to learn as Christians to give thanks. But then he hits us with something that's even harder to do. Uh, in, in, in Ephesians 5 and 20, it reads this. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So not only does God give us the commandment to give thanks in all things, but he hits us even harder on top of our heads and says, you've got to learn to give thanks for all things. You mean to tell me when I'm in a heated situation with my wife, and things not going, you know, quite well, and, you know, the money's just, just kind of drying up, and I'm supposed to give thanks for those things, and Tony Evans, uh, very renowned pastor, you probably know of him. You know, he just lost his wife. They just, they, just, they just buried her Monday. And the Bible tells him to give thanks for all things. You know, it, only a dedicated, maturing Christian is able to do what God is commanding us to do. And here's the thing. Most of us use this cop out. I ain't there yet. We've got to get beyond that. Stop saying I'm not there yet. And start believing God's word and say, by God's grace, I'm working to be what he's called me to be. In all things, he says, we are to give thanks. For all things, he says, we are to give thanks. Pastor Goat went on and talked about putting on kindness. Putting on kindness. You know how big that is? Um, If I were to approach some of you, do do you know that just from the very expression of your face, I would know that you don't have the mark of love? Do you know that some of us right here in this sanctuary, when you look at them, when you look at us, you know, we're kind of standoffish, you know, we, you know, you know, just kind of mean mugging people all the time. Uh, I want to encourage you to try to, to, to have what's called a yes face. An approachable face, um, a, a face that says, you know what, I, I can go to this person. I can go to that person. I can go to that brother. I can go to that sister. Whatever it is that's going on in my life, because I see that they are approachable. They are kind. Kindness is not just what you do, but it can be visibly expressed from your face. Putting on kindness. He talked about developing patience and being at peace and choosing our thoughts, choosing what to think about. But one of the most powerful statements I believe that Pastor made 
was this. And I want you to write this down as they put it on the screen. God's resurrecting power has the ability to exact change in your life by the following three things. Canceling the effect of your past, conquering our problems, and changing our personality. Look at that. God's resurrecting power has the ability to exact change in every one of our lives by those three things, by canceling the effects of our past. Canceling the effect of our past. In other words, giving us the ability to forgive. There are many of us on the side of us who struggle with the area of unforgiveness. There's something that happened to you 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago that you're still holding on to. And you have yet to take hold of the word of God and the power that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to allow that effect to make changes in your life by canceling out the effects of your past. If you're struggling with an area of unforgiveness right now, I want to encourage you to call on the name of Jesus and ask him to give you what you need to move on in your life. Because the only person you are directly affecting is you. That other person has moved on. But you are directly affecting and impacting your life in a very negative manner. You need to move on. You have to forgive. That is the mark of a Christian. Then he says he, the, the, the transforming power of the Lord through the resurrection gives us the ability to conquer all of our problems and also to change our personality. There are certain personality traits that, that all of us have. And some of us need our personalities to be screened through the word of God. And you need to bring your personality before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm struggling in this particular area in my life. Will you please? Help me as I surrender unto you. Change. Change. Well, tonight, brothers and sisters, I'd like to deal with this subject matter. Changing our approach and response to the good news. Changing our approach and response to the good news. Now, I don't want anybody to be misconstrued about what the good news is and... I don't want to just, just take for vain the for vanity that everybody in here automatically knows what the good news of Jesus Christ is. And I think that sometimes we as a church have to be certain that we you know, make it plain and make it known what the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And if there is someone, you know, because typically, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, typically in, in this church setting, you know, I, I rarely see somebody, especially an older person or a person who's grown, you know, stand up and say, hey, you know what? I need Jesus in my life. I have not accepted him as my Lord and personal Savior, and I need him. And, and oftentimes, a lot of people are hesitant to stand up and say, hey, I, I need Jesus. I need to accept Jesus because of the person who's sitting next to him. Or because of the expectation that because you've been in church, for 5, 10, 15, 30, 20, 40 years, that you should be a Christian by now. But that line of thought, my brothers and sisters, if you're not careful, will take you straight to the pit of hell. 
You've got to come to Jesus for yourself. Here's the gospel. Jesus came down, lived a sinless life. Bible declares that he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again three days later, according to the scriptures, and that he's coming back. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus Christ came from heaven. He came down to earth, lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures and he is coming back. And if no one has ever articulated that to you, you need to know that. Furthermore, you need to know that the Bible says that God so loved you. I'm not going to say the word. I'm going to say you. God so loved you that he gave his son to die on the cross for you. The Bible also says that while we were still in our sinning state, Romans 5 and 8, that Christ died for us. If you have never heard the gospel, brothers and sisters, the gospel is made plain and the gospel is a gift to be received by you. You can't pay for it. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough power. You don't have enough prestige. It is a willing gift, an offering that God has given to you. And the question is, will you take it? Forget who's sitting next to you. Forget how long you've been a member of EBC. Forget how long you served in the usher board or or deacon board or how long you've been in the media ministry. Forget all of that stuff. If at the end of the day you've, ad- you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as your, as your Lord and personal Savior, you need to know Jesus. And I want to encourage you with that. The gospel of Jesus Christ. My problem with Christians is this. I don't have a problem with Christianity. I have a problem with Christians. Here's my problem. I've been wanting to say this for a long time, too. I've got, I've got an issue. I'm 41 years old, and besides my mother and father, I have never, not once, recalled anybody pulling me aside and saying, hey, brother, do you know Jesus? I'm 41. And besides my mother and father, I cannot recall, and I'm saying, you know, beyond just being in a church service or whatever, I'm talking about being at home, being in a neighborhood, being out in a grocery store. I cannot recall if someone ever took the time and said, you know, hey, brother, I, just give me, can you give me a moment? I want to say something to you. Yeah, do, do you know that Jesus died on the cross for you? That he was buried and rose again for you? I long for the day that a Christian would approach me and say, do you know Jesus? Here's my problem with that. Everybody else can approach me. Muslims don't mind coming and talking about Allah and all all the stuff that you got to do. You know, Jehovah's Witness show enough don't mind. You know, really, I kind of envy you know Jehovah's Witness. You know, because they they go door to door. I like that method. It's, It's their method is fine. It's just their word is wrong. But we've got to learn. To approach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he's coming back and he's coming back for his, for his, his church, his, his bride. And what if, what if 
God has strategically placed you right where you are in your life, in your home, uh, on your job, in your school, where he's wanting you to, to make those kind of changes in the lives of those people who are around you. What if? What if? Changing our approach and response to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a passage of scripture I want you to look at. Um, it, it's, it's in 2 second, in second Kings. And I want you to mark it down even in your, in your Bibles for your own study time. There's only so much we can, we can cover tonight. Uh, but it's in 2 Kings and it's in chapter 7, starting at verses 3 through 9. Uh, but before we, we go there, before, you can still turn in your Bibles, but before we go there on the screens, I want to give you, um, you know, a kind of a back, backdrop or background as to what's going on because uh, we, we're kind of starting in the middle of a passage. And, and oftentimes when you do that, you, you, you know, you do the, the word of God a disservice because you don't know what's been going on. So I want to kind of give you a background, a backdrop of what's happening in this particular passage of Scripture so we can understand what we're getting ready to read now. And in, in I want you to turn to chapter 7, 2 Kings chapter 7. Um, but in, in this book of 2 Kings, we, we're at a point where um, Elisha is, is, is a prophet. Uh, now, mind you, you've got two prophets that kind of sound alike. You have Elijah with a J, and then you have Elisha with an S. Well, now Elijah has already been called up, and Elisha, his understudy, is now the, the, the prophet who's on the land. Um, we, we're very familiar with Elijah, but we're not so familiar with Elisha. Um, we, we know Elijah because primarily because he's the prophet that called down uh, the fire from heaven to consume the offering and kill the 450 um, prophets of Baal. And so that's a very familiar story that you've learned throughout time. But, but he had an understudy who I really like a little bit better than Elijah. And it was Elisha. And the reason why I like Elisha a little bit better Elijah, nothing wrong with Elijah. Uh, he was sure enough a holy man. Uh, he was called up uh, into heaven, di- didn't face death. Uh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, but, but, but Elisha had the unmitigated gall to ask Elijah something very important. He says, my master, I, I'm getting, I, I, I noticed something is going on. I, I see that you know, the Lord is on his way to come get you. And I've got a very special request from you. And I'm sure hope that you can do it. And his request was, he says, Will you ensure, will you give me a double portion of what you have? Boy, that's some kind of a request. You know, give me a double portion of the anointing. Give me a double portion of the power. And I know some of us will say, you know what, that's kind of a selfish request. Well, no, it's not. It's only selfish when you're trying to do it for yourself. Uh, but, but, but obviously, it wasn't a selfish request because God granted the request. Now, don't you realize that God knows your motives? God would have known that, that he would have been cocky and arrogant and, you know, and just want to do things on his own and calling down fire from heaven and you know, making, making stuff happen or whatever. No, no, no. He, 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 he wanted a double portion so that he could be doubly effective. <laughs> and that's what you and I ought to be like right now. We should be asking God for his anointing, his Holy Ghost power, so that we can be doubly effective in the times that we're living in right now. Don't y'all know we're living in troublesome times? Times and people are changing right before our eyes. And people need to know that there are still men and women, boys and girls, who represent the king and the kingdom. Elijah asked for a double portion. Um, and so in, in, in chapter 6, 
uh, with, with Elijah, you know, you know, the Bible talk, talks about King Benadad of, of Aram in chapter 6. Um, he, he mustered up his entire army and he besieged Samaria. He took captive or besieged Samaria so that the people could not go in or out. There was no exchanging. There was no nothing taking place in Samaria under the time period where King Benadad of Aram was besieging the nation of Israel. And things got so hard and so heavy and so troublesome uh, that a famine was found to be in the land. And this famine was extremely severe. As a matter of fact, guys, if you don't mind, pull that up for me. Chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to look at, uh, let's, let's start at um, uh, verse 24. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at verse 24. Uh, here's how it reads. Listen to this, and we're going to go through verse 29. Sometime later, however, King Benadad of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver. A donkey's head. Now, you know, I, I, I'm telling you, not, not before, any before this time, I've never really heard of anybody eating donkey meat. You know, the donkeys were used for animals, they were used as animals for uh, to move things around, to, you know, to plow the land. Uh, but, but people didn't really eat donkeys because they, they, they were working animals. Uh, but, but the land had gotten so severe in this famine that people were eating whatever they could get. And, and so it says there that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver. And then it gets worse. It says, and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. Now, I'm just going to have to use my imagination and figure out what they did with that dung. Uh, you know, my mama, you know, she, she, you know, she's from the old school, and she used to tell me about um, how, you know, their, um, their, her, her grandmother and aunt, whatever, they, they made uh, cow chip tea. You know, some, how many of y'all ever drank cow chip tea? My goodness. All right, all right, all right. I, don't make that if I come over, please. All right, cow chip tea. Either you've drank it or you know about it, if, if, if you're past 60 for sure. Um, and, and so I don't know what they were doing with that. I don't know if they made dove chip tea or, or, or what. But, but whatever it was, they were using dove as a resource and as a source of food, obviously, or something uh, to provide nourishment, some shape, form, or fashion. And dove's dung sold for that much money. Here it is. One day as the king of Israel was walking along the wall of the city, a woman called to him. Now watch this, it gets worse. Please help me, Lord the king. He answered, if the Lord doesn't help you, what in the world can I do? I have neither food from the threshing floor nor wine from the press to give you. But then the king asked, because he knew she was in distress, like, what's going on? He says, what's the matter? And she replied, this, this woman said to me, come on, let's eat your son today. Then we will eat my son tomorrow. Keep going. Verse 29. So we cooked my son and ate him. This really happened. This isn't a proverb. This happened. We cooked my son and ate him. Then the next day I said to her, kill your son so we can eat him. But she has hidden her son. She was smart, wasn't it? All right. See, no. Y'all not, y'all not, you're not going to eat my baby. All right. 
now let's, let's move on to 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3 through 9. It gives you a backdrop as to what's going on. There's a severe famine that's in the land. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3 through 9, here's how it reads. There were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. We will starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the camp or to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. Verse 8. When the lepers arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into tent after tent, one after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and hid it. Verse 9. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news. Remember that. Good news. And we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, Some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. Brothers and sisters, I know that that's, that's, that's not a New Testament word. And I know that the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ is found in the New Testament. But can't you see a picture here? This ain't right. This is a day of good news. Here's what I want you to to understand. Here's here's my first point. We've got to move beyond being containers and start being conduits. We've got to move beyond being containers. Containers. Does everybody see this? This is a container. Well, they've got one unmarked. Let me get this one. This is a container. He says, we've got to start, we've got to move beyond being simply a container, and we've got to move to being a content. I want you to understand something about containers and, and conduits. A container holds, but a conduit flows. Containers have the ability to hold things in to tighten it up, to put the top on it, and to secure it into place. But a conduit allows things to flow through. You pour into a container, but you flow through a conduit. And brothers and sisters, you and I as Christians have got to learn to be conduits instead of containers. You see, many of us have and house the Lord Jesus Christ inside of us, but nobody is being changed by our change. Look at, look at, look at what, what, what they were saying now. Look at what they were saying. Um, 
Th- these four men who, who, who were lepers, verse 8, when, when, when these men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, after another, eating and drinking wine. And they carried off the silver and the gold and the clothing and what they do with it. They hid it. In verse 8, these men, these lepers acted as containers. They were not concerned about anything else but themselves. They were self-centered people in verse 8. And you've got to be weary and leery of self-centered people because self-centered people look out for the best interests of themselves at the expense of others. Self-centered people will look out for the best interests of themselves at your expense and at my expense. But when you think about it, they were lepers. The Bible makes certain that we understand that. They, they didn't say just four men or four women. Or whatever. These were four lepers. Do you know those men had the mindset at, in verse, as far as verse 8 is concerned? We don't owe them nothing. Think about it, lepers. Pastors already told you how they had to act, right? When, when, when they went around, if they had to approach you or me, they had to, by law, holler out, unclean, unclean. Now, you holler out unclean long enough, and, you, and I guarantee you some bitterness is going to start coming up inside of you. If somebody calls you out of your name long enough, you ain't too much willing to do something for them. These men were lepers. And in, this, and in verse 8, if verse 8 had just been right where it was, they would have remained as containers, as selfish, self-centered men, because they would have said, you know what? I ain't concerned about them. They have never been concerned about me. Forget them. Let's get this for ourselves. And they took clothing, and they took the, the loot, and they hid it. And they went from tent to tent, eating and drinking. They had a good old time. A good old time. There was a famine in the land, and the people didn't care. The four men didn't care. In verse 8, they didn't care. Brothers and sisters, do you care that there's a famine in the land? As it relates to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are people dying every single day around you who have not been changed by the gospel. And I'm sorry to say this, but it's your fault. It's my fault. It's our fault. If you have a neighbor that's next to you for any length of time, and you've never shared with them the good news of the gospel that you have inside of you, you are a container. Now, what are you going to do about it? Your coworker that you've been at work with all these times and y'all laugh and have a good time and you've been to each other's houses and you go and eat dinner with each other and all that, you know, you know, does your coworker know who Jesus is? Do you even know if they know who Jesus is? Do you care? There's a famine in the land. You've got all these cults now who are building up people and building up all these uh, you know, uh, empires and, and different things and, and shelling people off left and right and claiming that they're Jesus Christ because there's a famine in the land. You've got the black Hebrew Israelites who tell you that your whole identity is wrapped up in your color. 
there's a famine in the land. You've got other Muslim extremists who will kill you, themselves, and their families, thinking that they are doing God's will. There's a famine in the land. But here's the thing. You have the power and the access and the authority to do something about it. Because you hold with inside of you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. Now, you know, that's not how we talk, you know, we, 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 this ain't right. Y'all know this ain't right. You know, they, they, now listen, listen to that now. Four men or, or four lepers and, and they, they, it wasn't one said to other. Y'all, this ain't right. We're not right. No, it says that what? They said to each other. That means every last one of them had a conviction. They said, this isn't right. This is not right. This is a day of what? Good news. And we aren't sharing it with anyone. They're, they're saying that that's problematic. We, you know, we aren't, we aren't, you can almost put a question, we aren't sharing this with anybody? We found all of this, this loop. We found more stuff that we could ever do with. We, there's more food that we could ever eat. We've got the food. We've got the provisions. We've got everything. We've got the resources. And here we are holding it within ourselves. We are being containers. And they said, this is not right. This is a day of good news. And they go on to say, if we wait till morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come, let's make a change. Let's stop doing what we have been doing. Let's stop being containers and start being a conduit. Come on, let's go back. It doesn't matter that they've talked about us all of our lives. It doesn't matter that we're lepers. We have the ability to do something about a whole nation's problem. Let's go back. Brothers and sisters, you have the ability to change a community. Let's go back. You, you, you've got the availability to, to, to change your co-workers' mindsets or at least introduce them to Jesus Christ. Let's go back. Katie, all of our fraternity brothers that, that, that we have, you know, that, that, we, that we've left behind, it's time for us to go back. Those family members who don't like to, to talk to us and act a fool and we're not exactly certain about you know, where their stance is with Christ, brothers and sisters, let's go back. And tell the people at the palace. My second point is this. You owe it to people to share with them the good news. I put it bluntly. You owe it to people to share with them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand something. Gospel literally means good news. That's what it means. If you look it up, gospel equals good news. That's what it means. We are to share the gospel with unbelievers, with our co-workers, with our friends, with our family members. We're supposed to do this. Look at, look at, at this. It says they, they finally said to each other in verse 9, this isn't right. Okay, so, so, so uh, a, they, they, were, they, they were convicted. 
Write that down. They were convicted. You owe it to people to share with them the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you, my brothers and sisters, and I ought to be convicted by it. We are not doing right. But then not only were they convicted, they were moved by a sense of obligation. Our people are starving. That was the situation. That was the obligation. Our people in our land are starving. And they were moved by the sense of obligation. My goodness. Here's the question. Are you moved by a sense of obligation to your brothers and sisters in Christ, your co-workers? Are you moved? To the point of conviction. To the point of conviction. Brothers and sisters, don't you ever think that you are unworthy or unfit to share the good news? Don't you ever think that you are unworthy or unfit to share the good news? You may not know all of the scriptures related. You may not be able to articulate everything, but you can say, I know a man who changed my life, and he'll change yours too. Say it with power. Say it with conviction. Say it with authority. I know Jesus will change your life because he changed mine. God has given you, he's equipped you everything with everything that you need to share the good news of the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. If God used outcasts like lepers, you better believe he'll use somebody like you and me. Think about that. If he used outcasts like lepers, what makes you think he's not willing to use you? I don't care that you've been homeless. I don't care that you've been jobless. I don't care that you struggled. Uh, in your sexuality at one point in your life and you've come out of that? It doesn't matter. You've been changed. You've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And God gives you and me the authority and the right and the obligation to do something about those people who are next to us. (laughs) Regardless of what others may say or think about you, God looks at you and me as a vessel worth using. He looks at us as a vessel worth using. No matter what people call you, outcast, reject, nobody. Jesus Christ wants to use a nobody like you and me. Like you and me. We've got to change our approach and our response to the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't worry about being called. Don't worry about being an evangelist or an apostle or a pastor or a preacher or a teacher. Just be who you are and tell the world about a man who loved you so much that he was willing to pay his life, give his life for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.